All right, it's like 257. Um, so probably get this going. So a few of you yesterday uh, got to see. <laughs> uh, I was working with one of the guys from Call and we were sitting here trying to like go through this and do like a test run, and then I accidentally hit the invited thing. And so a few of you got to play around with this yesterday. Um, we had we had a little bit of shenanigans. Um, just like who who was there? Like Joe Mobile was here. A few of you were here. Um, so that was fun. So this is kind of a uh, a fly by the seat of the pants thing right now because it's the first time I'm doing this. And it's hopefully going to be kind of like a weekly thing. Um, if, if you guys have used Clubhouse and you kind of know how this goes, I, th I think that this is going to go a little bit better than Clubhouse. There's a little bit more control here. Uh, episodes will save. Um, and you can go back and you can read transcripts. You can clip things. If we're talking about stuff and uh, something's interesting, you can, from your own account, you can clip it and send it out there, um, which is going to be a fun tool. Media Matters is going to have fun with that one. Um, so it's going to be kind of a ruckus and obviously more participatory than what you guys, those of you who subscribe on Patreon are used to. So I don't really have a format to this yet. <laughs> so like I said, it's going to be kind of the wild west for a bit. Basically anyone who, uh, who wants to talk, um, just you basically say call in or you hit a button and it'll bump you up to a queue. And uh, like I said, I'm gonna—I'm not really gonna uh, be judicious about people. If you have something that you want to respond to, if you have some a thought, think of it kind of like the comment section of Patreon, except you get to speak, you get to interact. Um, and so that's kind of how this first thing is just gonna be. So uh, it's gonna be a little goofy at first. Um, I might accidentally probably hang up on all of you, um, accidentally. So. Hopefully it'll be okay. You can see this is called episode one. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Um, obviously a take on O'Reilly, which is how I feel. I'm just like, all right, we're just going to do this live. This is kind of what you can see. It's versus media on call-in live. So it's like a live radio show. Um, anything and everything that possibly can go wrong is probably going to go wrong, but that's even more fun. So you can see kind of it says uh, introductory episode versus media live on call-in. We, we will familiarize everyone with this new live format. As uh, and it's discussing with listeners, attendees, kind of stories of the day. I might, you know, there's going to be times when I'm going to have a topic like I do today. Um, obviously, it's it was kind of a busy day in the newsosphere. We have a guy who apparently is claiming to be owner of the Warriors, um, Chamath Papatia. How did I did I just miss his name right off the bat? Um, yeah, Palipatia. Um, obviously was doing a, a podcast and he said, uh, and I can't play the clips obviously because we're live on my phone where he said, I don't care uh, about the Muslim Uyghurs in China. Nobody cares about them. It's just a hard truth. Um, and this has obviously caused some reaction on the Twitter machine and in other places to the point to where the, uh, Golden State Warriors basketball team had to kind of release a statement disowning him. <laughs> like this is just some random investor. This is not the owner, even though he says in his uh, in his Twitter bio that he owns the team or he's the part owner in the team, uh, at least. And this was interesting because I I mean I think that he basically said what a lot of owners and a lot of players in the NBA actually think. So I, I points for honesty, I guess. 
the Warrior statement says, as a limited investor who has no day-to-day operating functions with the Warriors, Mr. Palapatia does not speak on behalf of our franchise, and his views certainly don't reflect, excuse me, our organization, which is odd because we, we're not told what those views are in the statement. This is kind of like the Rob Lowe wearing the NFL football hat of generic denial statements. Um, and it was funny because going back uh, a while ago when Steve Kerr was asked about some of this stuff, Steve Kerr, the head coach, the very outspoken head coach, uh, who's spoken up obviously for Black Lives Matter and whatnot, said he, he, didn't, want, he didn't want to be a pawn in these soundbite wars, basically. So he didn't weigh in. So this has obviously kind of been the issue of the day. Um, you're free to weigh in on that, what you think about that, uh, questions, comments, uh, what have you. You guys should see icons where you're able to uh, get in line to speak. You should have like a plus symbol. Uh, I think you just see it. Andrew is there. And so uh, I'm going to talk a little bit actually about something I just wrote, which is what I plan to talk on. So again, any thoughts you have on anything doesn't have to be on topic. Um, just join up in that queue. And uh, probably here in 15, 20 minutes or so, I will uh, start doing it. Similar to the podcast where I take um, comments, questions, but um, you're on the spot now. You guys can't hide behind message boards anymore. You have to use your words, use your big kid words out there. Um, The thing I wanted to kind of start off today about is I I wrote a piece, uh, again, on Fauci. Because I noticed, I talked a little bit about this, but I haven't done it enough. And Fauci today is speaking uh, online, I think through Zoom or whatever, to Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. Uh, Klaus Schwab is the guy who, uh, he's kind of in charge of the Great Reset idea, which is trying to be pawned off as some great conspiracy. And it's not a great conspiracy. It's a frightening thing. Um and they just also rolled out the carpet at the World Economic Forum for Xi Jinping while we're on this topic of the Uyghurs. And Fauci was uh, lamenting the spread of disinformation, especially as it comes to health information with the pandemic. And he's just, he's doing this Fauci thing. Yeah, disinformation! Or whatever he's doing. And I think it's a great tee-up for what I talked about. And, I, and I've, I've said this a little bit last week on the podcast with... Rand Paul in our media isn't really interested in getting answers from Fauci about his career's work with gain of function, uh, dual use of concern research, which I've written about. He testified in front of Joe Lieberman in 2012 about dual use of concern research, which is Fauci's department, the NSI dates, oversaw uh, funds going to the Department of Defense where they were studying bioweapons for viruses. Um, again, not conspiratorial. And as I stated kind of a little bit last week in the podcast, I think people are missing the actual danger with all of this stuff. And, and I get people love to see Rand Paul, you know, go, you know, throw the gloves down and, and grandstand a little bit. And I mentioned that this doesn't get us anywhere. It gets him on Fox News. Um, and, if, and I got a little bit of pushback on that because people said, well, at least somebody's doing it. And that's great. Um but it doesn't get to the heart of the matter of what we're dealing with. And as I said, you have to look at Fauci. You cannot look at him through, say, a political lens, where I think it's pretty clear he's a partisan bureaucrat. I don't think that there's much uh, much more arguing about that to be done. Um, but this whole idea of 
you know, take him to jail and prosecute him. And all of the stuff I've said is kind of uh, not helpful. And it's not, I mean, it's not going to happen first. And two, I, th- I don't think people are seeing the full scope of the problem here. As I noted, and I have a magazine piece coming out on him on this that hopefully dives into this a little bit, which is you have to understand that this is a guy who follows the law of science as a religion. He's a devout follower of the quote unquote, the science. And he's declared himself several times, obviously, you know, to question me is to question science. And like I said, you have to look at him through that kind of lens where even if the science leads to the deaths of 12 million people, as it, as it looks like it possibly did here. The science can still never be wrong. It's always a process. It's always a means to an end, which means when 12 million people die from a virus that looks, you know, for all intents and purposes, like it was engineered for some kind of purpose, it was a lab leak, we're trying to study it, um, that becomes a problem. That becomes somebody who thinks that lives like that are expendable. And I'm not, you know, saying he's like a Dr. Frankenstein here. To a certain extent, that's a, that's a you know, a layman's um, example of this. But I think people aren't viewing him through this lens. And as I noted, uh, his these last email batches that came out, and one was obviously from The Telegraph. And that was a pretty important uh, paragraph, which I think sums most of this up. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this if I can find it here. Uh, going back, we're going back, we're going back. Uh, it's from the Telegraph. It's from January 12th. It said an email from Sir Jeremy Farrar, director of the Welcome Trust on February 2nd, 2020, said that a likely explanation was that COVID had rapidly evolved from a SARS-like virus inside human tissue that's gain of function. The email to Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins of the U.S. National Institutes of Health went on to say that such evolution may have, quote, accidentally created a virus primed for rapid transmission between humans. So, but a leading scientist told Sir Jeremy that further debate would do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular. Uh, Dr. Francis Collins said the former director, who was the former director of the U.S. National Institutes of Health, warned it could damage international harmony. Um, and scandalous does not begin to describe this. And this is kind of why I try to encourage people. You have to think on a bigger scale um, about this kind of work and this kind of research. And it's funny to me that here we are, you know, we're fucking around with viruses. We're screwing around with them. You know, you're messing with the protein spikes. You're inserting rodent DNA into bat DNA into pangolin asshole DNA or whatever it's going to be. And then you've created a virus. There it is. And now you go, well, I guess we need to create a vaccine for that now. When we wouldn't need to be creating vaccines for viruses that these guys are making. And, of course, this idea that science creates a pandemic that we cannot blame science for goes back again to this devout idea of we need to tell noble lies. And that's kind of Fauci's problem. And it's why he should be fired is to tell noble lies. And noble lie was... You don't need to be walking around in a mask like he told 60 Minutes in March of 2020. Well, that, of course, changed. And we learned the reason he did that is he didn't want people hoarding masks. Jeez, put the mask down. So I wrote in December of 2020 that he has to go simply for not telling us the truth. And the piece I wrote today obviously said that the the media cannot cover for this guy anymore. They're going to. That's not what I mean. I I don't mean that they're going to just have a change of heart. Um, 
but there's a paper trail now that is revealing that they're saying one thing in public about the vi- about the origins of this virus. Yeah, it, it, it came from a bat. You know, no, we don't know what to do. To now, at the same time, in February first and February twenty second, or February second, was the conference call with Fauci, EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak, um, and Francis Collins, where they had several scientists express concern that this looked like an engineered virus. And then four days later, uh, a few of them publicly recounted and said that this was a, a zoonotic origin. And so you have a paper trail that shows that they've been deceptive about this from the beginning. And Sean Davis from The Federalist noted that it was because, you know, he's protecting China and his, chi- and his interest in China. Like he's a communist dude and, you know, sort of like what the NBA is doing. And I, and I told Sean, I think that that's an oversimplification. I think he's protecting his life's work. And I think he's protecting his colleagues' life's work as opposed to leveling with people because the ramifications for Dr. Fauci and his colleagues, I think, are as bad as he thinks they could be, which is you're out of a job. You're going to retire. This funding stops immediately. All of it. It just stops. We're done. We're not. We're, you're done screwing around with viruses. You had your chance. Um, that's it. No more. No more. No, but there's diseases out there. No, there's not diseases out there unless it's the ones you're creating. That's how that's what got us here. And again, a lot of those people are, are counting on me or you or whomever without to sound like a ranting conspiracist when you go into this stuff. No, nobody's saying it was a bioweapon. Nobody's saying we don't know. We don't know what happened when that money hit the Wuhan lab where, you know, it's under the uh, supervision of the Chinese government. Nobody knows for sure what went on in those labs. But we do have a paper trail, at least, that shows Fauci and his buds and Francis Collins and Peter Daszak and a few of these other people trying to deflect and mitigate the blame put on them by trying to run a PR operation behind the scenes to shut down any mention of a gain-of-function style virus. We saw in those emails where Francis Collins said, you know, we need to push back on this dangerous conspiracy theory. And this is where Rand Paul was right when he said, you're calling these people fringe epidemiologists from Stanford, Oxford, and Harvard. One of them, if for some of you who are educated and learned, might remember that one of those people was on a panel with Ron DeSantis in Florida, and that was the panel that was removed um, from YouTube. And so I said on that, I said, I'm wondering if Fauci had anything to do with getting that removed from YouTube. And I think that this is where we are at now in this part of the pandemic, where there is a paper trail. The truth of a lot of this stuff is going to come out, whether or not the New York Times chooses to report on it or not. The New York Times did not cover Fauci's email release from the House or from the Senate Republicans at all. They ran something like about a two and a half minute video of the exchange between Rand Paul and Fauci. And this is what I noted in my piece today, which was um, they want the blood sport. If you looked at all the media reports, it was Rand Paul and Fauci going at it again. Explosive. Explosive diarrhea. Fuck you. And that's pretty much all it was. They're not interested in kind of getting to the truth of what's going on. What is the what is the content of these emails? What why is Fauci saying, you know, X, Y, Z while saying publicly ABC? And so um, this is kind of what I'm trying to get out with people. And I, when I see people are like, you know, lock him up and stuff like that. Um, I, I think that there are bigger things at work here. And I think, you know, for the most part, first and foremost, you have to use his own information to discredit him. And as I said, he's very good at 
pinning people down who don't speak his terminology and language. And you see him do that with several uh, of these Congress people. Um, I read, and then I'm going to kind of let some of you guys weigh in on this, but I read last week, and I want to kind of go back into this, Alina Chan, who wrote the book Viral, The Hunt for the Origins of the COVID, uh, COVID-19. She said transcripts, of, and this she does. She just does a better job of summing this up. It says the transcripts of the early 2020 exchanges on the origin of COVID among leading scientists in the U.S. and Europe show they were privately worried about a lab origin of COVID-19. Yet publicly, they they authored proximal origin, which dismissed which dismissed lab origin hypotheses. It said the day February 4th, 2020, that a first draft proximal origin was shared with Fauci and Collins by Farrar, whom I just mentioned to you all said that Edward Holmes, one of the Proximal Origin authors, had guessed it was 60-40 lab, and for our guest, it was probably 50-50. In the first draft, uh, a man named Eddie Holmes arguing against engineering, but repeated passage is still an option, said, but in a published Proximal Origin, repeated passage was dismissed because such work was also not previously been described when it had been described. So an April 2020 email that Dr. Collins makes the objective of Proximal Origin clear to settle and put down the, the lab origin of COVID hypothesis. And this, of course, then spread through uh, Tom Cotton being called a, a conspiracist and whatever. Another thing Alina Chan notes, and I haven't read this to anyone on any podcast, said it appears that people who, and she has documents for this stuff. You can see her on Twitter. Her Twitter feed is at A-Y-J Chan. And again, this is not some random, you know, blue check kook. She authored the first book about trying to find the origins of the coronavirus. And she says it appears that the people who convened the proximal origin authors who staunchly dismissed the lab may have also shaped the membership of the World Health Organization team that went to China and ruled the lab origin as extremely unlikely. Uh, she has a good thread going into all of this. The only mistake she makes in here, she says Peter Daszak is an American who made it into the World Health Organization, and he's not. He's a British national, which is why he can't be hauled in front of Congress. So I, I know some of this might be repetitive, but again, I want I want to hear other people's ideas about this. But this is kind of what I mean when I say the grandstanding that happens in Congress isn't enough. And this idea of this partisan turning Fauci into this kind of we're going to lock him up. And I don't, I'm not even a fan of the DeSantis stuff in Florida. Of don't Fauci my Florida and turn, you know, like this is you're, you're missing a big part of the important part of this debate. Which is, again, you have someone who I think believes laws of man are second to laws of science and nature, except this isn't really science. This is playing God. It's creating viruses. It's creating things that are more transmissible. I will note in a magazine piece coming out in February that right now they're working on a thing called a one vaccine. And the one vaccine is uh, a vaccine that they that Anthony Fauci himself wrote about in the New England Journal of Medicine just a couple of weeks ago. And this went by with no news coverage. Like it, MSNBC did something on it where he endorsed the idea of a one vaccine. And the idea is it's one vaccine that can take care of COVID, COVID variants such as Delta, such as Omicron, which is what we're dealing with now, as well as strains of influenza. So eventually we get to the point where, I don't know, a year or two down the road, instead of getting five shots, COVID is mixed into influenza shot and you just get your one shot and you're done. You're set to go. Um, Lid states will still, of course, be wearing fucking masks. Um, we know that. And that's, of course, another hot topic is Glenn Youngkin is already setting heads on fire. Um, they just granted something to the tune of, I believe, 35 billion. I might be, it's either million or billion. I'll look that up. 
to to research and develop this one vaccine. And you know how they're doing it? They're doing it by studying novel bat coronaviruses. So here we go. And again, this is kind of where I, I wish more people, especially in our media and especially on the right, and especially with politicians, would would open their eyes and look at for Fauci. Um, I don't think Fauci is going to jail. I do want him completely defunded, 100%, no more. That's it. And that's obviously not going to happen with Biden in charge. Uh, Rich Laurie from National Review had a great, just short piece about what Biden could do to kind of stop the bleeding. As we learned today, he has the lowest approval rating of any president in his first year since Harry Truman. And Biden would know he was alive for Truman. Um, it's He's even outdone Trump, which is quite the feat. And so Rich Laurie had a couple of suggestions, which was one of those suggestions is to fire Anthony Fauci. And again, I'm sitting here wondering who decided on the good optics of having Fauci show up at the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schrag's World Economic Forum uh, shortly after rolling out the red carpet for Xi Jinping. That's the kind of shit that, you know, gets the conspiracies, you know, the, the global elitists <laughs> with their hands all on the fucking globe or whatever, the glowing orb. I said, that's the kind of shit that, you know, gives weight to conspiracy dystopian stuff. Um, that's my topic for the day. You can read more about that piece over at Spectator, and, I'm, and I'll have a magazine piece on it. Um, but that's kind of my thing to get this off and running, to just kind of kickstart everything. Uh, I'm going to start taking calls, comments, questions. It can be about anything you want. It doesn't have to be on Fauci. Um, you can even just talk about how you like using the app or whatever like that. I think I'm scrolling here. I'm looking. I don't I don't see if any of the uh, call-in dudes are in here. Okay. I don't see any. So we can probably get away with some trouble here. Uh, I'm going to do this in an attempt to not hang up on it. Oh, no, there he is. There's Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Just kidding. Uh, I'm going to take Gregory. Uh, Gregory, you have the mic. Make sure your uh, microphone is unmuted. I think this should make me be able to be heard, but I'm not quite sure. Um, I got you. Oh, grand, grand. I have to say right off the bat, it's uh, interesting to listen to you uh, at regular speed instead of one and a half times. So <laughs> that is, uh, I, Well, we are having a happy hour, so I'm having beers. So if oh, you give me like, <laughs> depending on how long this goes here, if you give me like three or four, I'll be at, well, I'll be at one and a half speed. Yeah, and if you ever listen to someone at two times speed and then hear it at regular, they do sound loaded as well. So um, just off the off the the first impressions of this, I was like, oh wow, this is interesting to hear things uh, slowed down. But um, on on a, a, a whole bunch of things that you've thrown out here, and and this does seem like an interesting format because it's kind of like we're listening to what you would normally do in the podcast, and except now you know you're taking calls as you could say, which is pretty nifty. Um, you can challenge me, and you can. I still have the power to kick you out of the room. Don't get a big head. <laughs> uh, well, I was just going to say, um, I had a and in the comments, I had a disagreement on the um, Rand Paul uh, take on it. Just, I yeah. do agree with um, a chunk of it at the end. It just it misses to me. It misses the whole arc of what he did over these um, hearings in which he quote unquote broke Fauci in a way. Uh, by haranguing him and, and yeah, being really rude at certain points. And I feel like he got under his skin because the Fauci at the hearings you hear now is a very aggravated and annoyed person, which I don't know if he would be that way if it wasn't for someone like Rand. But I also think you're absolutely right. Now, he's in the minority, you know, and I have a funny feeling just like before, if the Republicans do take the majority, you're not going to see a committee that has um, what we would like to see, like you said, the uh, what is it, Chen Chan? I can't remember her name, but um, Alina Chan. 
Alina Chan, where you would have, uh, okay, hey, we're going to have our hearing, and here is our very well knowledgeable scientific person who will be grilling you. <laughs> that right. would be a really amazing set of video. And yeah, I don't think we're going to see that when they take it back. I would like to see that as a change for a number of these hearings that you really could get down to the nitty gritty and the brass tacks. So when Fauci starts going with his, ah, oh, the midichlorians and the chlorinates and the, and she'd be going, what are you talking about? You know, that Johnson and Fitzer's paper last year was, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I think that would be very helpful, but I also think what, I mean, he is the Tom Cruise who got Fauci to call the code red a number of times. And in time, as more and more comes out, they're going to be able to go back and see all these things that he's denied. And I don't know, it's not going to make much of a difference because of the way the whole media bubble is going, but that's just my two cents. And I'll step back to hear what others have to say. And uh, Hey, thanks for doing all this, Stephen. No, thanks for, thanks for running the test here with us, Gregory. You did good. I didn't have to kick you off. Um, for the, for those for for those of you who as I I've cited Alina Chan's work a lot, and I'm I'm just so you know she's not some random kook. It's, she's a scientific advisor at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard, co-author of Viral: The Search for the Origin of COVID-19, and she even goes through and lists kind of what what needs to happen from there. And she basically says full transparency. These guys have to just completely come clean, or this is going to happen again. Um, we don't even need to go into China. We don't need to do any of that and, you know, get, you know, course, uh, you know, find like the janitor who saw something and get him to safety and his family to safety so he can whistleblow the whole thing. And she just basically says you have to go down this line and, and you have to have almost an international either response to the U.N. or something because somebody like Peter Daszak and the reason why you haven't heard this guy speak it's because he's not an American, so you can't haul this guy. You can't subpoena this guy in front of Congress. He a diplomatic immunity, um, and he's really the most important person that we need to hear from. Who's not in a controlled setting in a controlled interview? She says she goes down the line here, and she says, "Get the February fourth, twenty twenty draft of the proximal origin. Release unredacted emails. Absolutely. Confirm conflicts of interest among the February one group." And I've noticed, I've noted this before, the February one conference call is the one where I think it was scientist Christian Anderson two days prior was the one who goes, this, this doesn't look like a natural virus. This looks like something, you know, the protein spikes here don't look normal. He uh, sent that email to Fauci. The next day Fauci says, okay, we'll get a call together. That's the February 1st conference call. It had all of these principles in there. And then it was two or three days later where Anderson and a few others came out and said, yeah, no, that's a crazy theory. Um, so something was said in that meeting, and I think we'd like to know what it was. It said, uh, ask why contributors were unacknowledged in the proximal origin. Remove February 1st participants from academic advisory roles on origin of COVID. Put an editor's note on the proximal origin. She's talking about, you know, just the theory. This was the also the Lancelet paper that Dachik, had, uh, you know, engineered and co-authored that he had to remove his name from and said, obtain commitment to immediately overhaul the grant review and publication system for risky pathogen research. I think that's probably the most important thing. It said, obtain commitment to release all documents and emails relating to SARS-like virus research. Confirm consequences for funded entities who cannot produce documentation of their pathogen research. Find out if suppression of discussion data sharing and or investigation of pandemic beginnings or origin of COVID continued or was witnessed by NIH or NIAID personnel. Everything she recommends there, I am 
percent behind. And these are, again, steps that when you have grandstanding congressmen who are Republicans or, you know, Democrats who don't, don't you dare attack that public health official. Um, the other thing I note with Fauci is Gregory notes his attitudes with hearings now. He he doesn't have that, you know, uh, Keebler elf bedside manner anymore. And I, I argue that that's good to show kind of a contempt there. But again, you're not really getting answers. You're, you, you, Rand Paul's getting on Fox News, but we're not getting answers to any of this stuff. And it's great because, you know, like I said, everyone loves the food fight, but the food fight is the shiny object that the media wants you to follow. That's the shiny. Those are the keys getting dangled in front of your face. Um, and you have to kind of stay on the focus of this. And um, like Gregory said, I would love to have Miss Chan up and be someone to question. I would love to have one of our senators just say, I'm going to defer my time. Here's the speaker. Here she is. Let her question him. Um, so again, those are all to me, good recommendations. I'm going to try to take Matt here. Um, let me see. Oh, let's do take next caller without hanging up. There we go. Matt, you're on the air. The first episode versus media. Fuck it, we'll do it. Hey, Stephen, how you doing? Hey, did you in the beginning um, acknowledge it was uh, George Floyd Day, like the president did today? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, sure? that's, that sound bite going around was from last year, and oh, I thought that that was I thought that that was weird that that didn't get more traction last year. Um, I don't acknowledge that it's George Floyd Day. Um, I did. I do find it funny when the FBI, who murdered MLK allegedly. Uh, goes out and they say, you know, on this MLK day, we must honor Dede. And you just got to shake your head at this. And you just kind of go, who, who the fuck do you guys think you're fooling here? Um, that's just one of those days. I have noticed we haven't had any brand apologies yet today. Um, we usually get one or two of uh, good ones of those. Yeah, the apologizing being from the uh, Warriors front office. Hey, real quick about um, Fauci, and it's a little off topic, but do you think that he'll never lose his job as long as Biden's in office and the reason he hasn't been fired yet and Walensky is because somebody else knew that comes in new will look under the hood and know early on that they saw the data that the vaccines weren't going to be as effective as they were. And so Fauci all along may be potentially another noble lie that they were telling you when to get vaccinated, but they knew right out of the gate that it wasn't going to stop spread at all, that the efficacy was going to wane like really quickly and that there's this the other truth that people aren't aware of because it seems really weird that they've protected this guy for so long and couple that with like the whole thing about his career have you considered that point uh i i don't i don't think anyone that biden would bring in is going to go digging under any hoods that would possibly embarrass biden or walensky um they they would bring in someone who was on their team basically and i mean so if, if you I don't think Fauci is going to be fired. I think he'll be allowed to retire with dignity. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Unless we get, you know, a GOP president in 2025 who then says you're fired or your resignation is on my desk tomorrow. Uh, I, I don't see I don't see a political apparatus, which is what the CDC is and has been for quite some time under both presidents that had to deal with this. Um we know that, you know, Trump wanted less testing because the more tests show, the more cases. And that was always one of Trump's weird things, which was, you know, if we don't test people, then you don't have any cases. And that's kind of what, you know, Beijing is doing. Like, that's a good idea. Let's not test people. Um, it's a politicized bureau. Uh, that's my libertarianism kicks in and I say abolish it and get rid of it completely. Um, 
there was something where we were looking at Biden's approvals from CBS News that said uh, his pandemic handling is low approvals because the messaging is confusing. And that goes everywhere from Walensky to Fauci to, uh, as I've stated, where Biden will walk down the street wearing a mask and then he'll walk up to a group of reporters and pull his mask off. And <laughs> right, you know, kind of in their face. And that, I think that, that those optics, the, the George Floyd clip Matt mentioned, is perfect because he's sitting there talking and he's got the mask hanging off of his ear. And it's just like, this looks like a naked gun episode here. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Um, but no, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Fauci getting fired because that that's an admission of we got it wrong. And this is why you're seeing the doubling down on masks and you're seeing the doubling down on school closures in these areas, because that's an admission that, you know, the red state root, you know, Rube Hicks got everything right. Not everything, but schools are open in Florida. They have been for over a year. There's people I know in Florida who are like laughing that the rest of the country is even having this debate. And so I think they're not going to do anything because Biden is just an old school politician. He's surrounded by old school people. You know, Jen Psaki looks at these problems as a challenge. It's not about the truth. It's how can I get around this? How can I spin this? Owned. And so you're not going to see that. I don't think you get to see Walensky fired. I don't think you're going to see Fauci fired. I think at the most Fauci, the thing he has going for him is his age. And he could choose to step in and go, I'm done. I'm out of this, whatever. He said he's not going to do that. So I guess the hard way it will be then. And they all said at this hearing, you had, you know, I, I mentioned this before, where one of the GOP senators looked at Walensky and said, who's the coach? Who's in charge of the pandemic in the administration? Who's the coach? Who's the one, you know, doing it? And they all said uh, Jeff Zients, who was Biden's advisor. And it's like, well, I hope that guy has his resignation letter ready because that's kind of he'll be a fall guy for that. I also think it all depends on what happens with this website. The uh, test website is supposed to come up here in a little bit. And I guess we're going to see what happens with that. Andrew, I think you're up. Uh, hey, uh, Stephen, how are you doing? Good. How uh, are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, so actually, I was just wondering, you know, you see all this stuff with Jin Saki just stepping on a rake this yes last night about this, um, about wearing masks in Alexandria. It's like, I know Joe Biden was never the most competent person underneath Barack Obama. That's never been debated. But you think enough of Barack Obama's really smart, you know, media people would have still said, oh, hey, we get a second job in the White House. Let's go do it again. And it just feels like. He didn't even get the. He got less scraps than almost anyone else that you'd expect from the Obama administration. Why do you think that happened? Uh, I liked what I mean. Some I think political math said this right on Twitter. Where why are they even weighing into the Alexandria school district fight? That that was a completely avoidable situation. They don't have to weigh in. They could have. You know, Peter Ducey might ask him about it or ask Saki about it, but Saki purposely wading into this is just another it's 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 a i think it's a problem of competence where these people are experienced dc you know dc established dc people it's their community and whatever um but if you noted you know jen saki said thank you for you know alexandria school board for fighting for whatever and saki did note that her kid i don't think goes to public school um remind you it's like jen saki's three-year-old has been the one setting policy for the past you know, seven months on masks. Well, my, my toddler wears a mask all day and she doesn't mind it. So therefore that's, I guess that's the guidance for the rest of the country. Um, I, I don't, I don't have an answer. This seems to be 
the problem with Biden's entire presidency right now is during the campaign, he stayed out of this stuff. He stayed out of the culture fights that Kamala Harris got swamped down and Elizabeth Warren, you know, went into. And, you know, Matt Stoller, who's a who's a left leaning Bernie guy economist, noted this. He said, you guys are just you're letting Twitter dictate your campaigns in only three percent of the country if that is active on Twitter. And Biden stayed out of all of that stuff. He, you know, he he ran on being the quiet grandpa who's going to give the country a Worthers, which is an example I use a lot. Um, and it's, it's almost like as soon as he became president, uh, he just started getting tugged left and right, you know, by people on the left flank and everything like that. And he he wasn't able to mitigate that, which is how we end up with, you know, irrational and far left things like, you know, vaccine mandates through OSHA and stuff like that. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you, I don't know who in his administration said you, you need to go and you need to run this place more like, you know, your Twitter feed. And as I, I wrote several months ago, it's almost like journalists on Twitter control the messaging of this administration. And Jen Psaki has almost said as much, um, you know, she's, you're talking about someone, you speak of the Obama administration, you know, Jen Psaki was the one who held up the, the sign and said, you know, united for Ukraine hashtag. The first time Putin invaded Ukraine, which it looks like we're going to get a second time. Um, I, I think what's interesting is a lot of those junior kiddos, the people like Saki and um, a lot of Kamala Harris's advisors who have all now left. They were kind of the, the junior Obama kids. And now they're kind of the senior ones in charge. So you have this administration who's run by Twitter. It's run by TikTok um, with a confused old man who's just, ah, it's, uh. Um, and even he said, Biden said, he, you know, he go he gets these, these ideas from his grandkids who are on TikTok and Twitter. It's like, well, I don't know. Why don't you have that weird guy with the fingernails do a video? That'll convince people or the Jonas Brothers screaming, you know, at 100 decibels in your ears. And I, I don't know who that's going to convince to, you know, go get people vaccinated. So um, I, I think these people are so stuck in their ways, especially from the Obama administration, from being these youngsters that that's just who they are now. That's, you know, it's the only thing they know how to do. It's, it's crazy. And I think it's a testament to Biden's weakness that he's, he, he lets it happen. Like he, he genuinely does not. And I know there's a lot of kidding around this, but he genuinely does not look like someone in charge of his own administration. Uh, I'm I'm taking you. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Rob, Rob, you're on the air. Fifth caller. Hey, hey, Steve. First time, long time. Uh, cool to see you on this app. I think the call-in app's a great... Uh, I, I had fun messing around with it during the beta, like making some test shows. I think it's a cool feature. It's nice to see someone. I like listening to all the podcasts for, uh, on here. Uh, I don't want to ruin your flow if you want to keep talking uh, current events, but you mentioned at the start the uh, uh, Chamath uh, having that conversation around uh, the Uyghur genocide. And it's funny enough that, well, in a morbid sense, funny that whenever I think about the Uyghurs, I think about when I first heard about them, which was at the American Enterprise Institute like three years ago when you were speaking yeah. at the podcast conference. Wow. And it's a funny story. I wasn't sure if you wanted to tell it because you told it like two years ago on the podcast, but I think it's a, it sets the tell tone. It. Tell whatever. <laughs> well, no, I, I, yeah, I, if, from my memory, uh, there was basically, you were doing a podcast for the conservatarians you and John Gabriel. Yeah. And uh, it was like at 10 a.m. and you came out with a handle of a bullet bourbon. Yeah. And, and at the at the end, you uh, handed it off to some random people at a table. My wife and I were watching. And then the next guest was uh, 
uh, a long form interview talking about um, was it Jay Nordlinger talking about uh, the Uyghur genocide and they yeah, had some it was it was, uh, it was Nuri Turkel or I'm sorry I'm, I'm getting that guy's name wrong hold on yeah Nuri Turkel um, he was uh, he he's uh, chair of the Uyghur project he was appointed the commissioner of the uh, it's a USCIRF it's um, it monitors reports on religious freedom he, he is an escaped Uyghur and he's an attorney. Um, but that's who you're talking about. But go ahead, keep going. No, yeah, it was it, it was a very sombering conversation, and it, it was uh, really eye opening, like like learning about the experience. But then also, uh, you kind of tiptoeing around the back of the room trying to find the uh, bottle of bourbon again. <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's actually a story behind that. So me and John Gabe. So we, for those of you who don't know, I, I, I host I co-host a podcast with John Gabe called Conservatarians. Uh, we got invited to DC to, to American Enterprise Institute to do to do a live podcast. And we had the 10 a.m. slot. And so, yeah, so I brought up the bullet bourbon. Um, and it, it was funny because it was a, like a Tuesday and the room was packed. And we just got finished listening to Marco Rubio speak. Uh, Mattis was there. Mattis spoke. And that was great. But Rubio speaks. And uh, I, I kind of look around the room and I'm like, you know, don't, doesn't anybody in this town work on a Tuesday? And I went, we know Marco doesn't. And that just like gave me p- like pure scowls. And, and I love I like Marco Rubio. It's funny. But I was like, okay, this is going to be a tough room. Um, it was like, you got, it said, we got to lighten up here a little bit, folks. And so, yeah, so I, 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 you know, I put a little bit of bourbon and I had a little bit of the cup and John was supposed to have some with me. And then he, he bitched out at the last second and had like a Starbucks. And I was like, come on, you know, like, whatever. I guess I'm doing this alone. I'll drink alone in front of you people. And uh, yeah, so Rob's right. I get down afterwards and I, I think I leave the bottle at one of the tables. I'm like table nine or whatever. And the uh, I go back and I sit down. Well, members of the Ladies Brains podcast then came in. So it was Mary Catherine Ham. It was uh, Lindsay Five, uh, Lindsay Fifield, who some of you guys know from Twitter. Um, also Bethany Mandel, and so they come in to kind of do their thing um, after uh, Nuri Turkel is up. And, and Rob is right. This is uh, I, I think it was Jane Nordlinger doing this discussion about the Muslim Uyghurs and what's happening and what's going on over there, and. I'm sitting next to Lindsay Fifield, who I've met on a couple occasions. She's like, we're going to go up and talk about what's in our purse after this. And so I was like, well, I have bourbon. Do you need, do you need something? I'm texting and we're not, we're not talking obviously during this. So he texts her under the thing. I'm like, do you, I said, I have bourbon. You guys going to need a drink? And she's like, yeah, that would really help. So that's like, okay, fuck. All right. So the bourbon's over on the other side of the room. Now it's like a half a bottle of bullet. I'm like, okay. So as Rob knows, I get up and I kind of duck down and I t- and I go over and I, I steal the bourbon back. And I even think I said, I'm like, I need this back. And so let's under the table, I poured a little bit for Lindsay because they were, she was genuinely freaking out that we had this serious sobering talk from Nuri Turkel, who is still um, one of, when he followed me back on Twitter was still one of my geekiest little moments because I, I listened to everything this guy talks about. I read what he writes. Um, he is kind of the, uh, the the prime source of all of this stuff that you should listen to because he's been through it. He's just not you know human advocate on Twitter. He's he's someone who escaped it. Who's been through it. He he's seen it firsthand. And so you had the lady brains who were like, I think that was their their gig. They were literally going to talk about what was in their purse. And she's like, I can't believe we have to follow this. Like I can't I can't believe we're getting this sobering speech about what China's doing to the Muslim Uyghurs, and then we're going to get up there and talk about our shade of lipstick. And so that was the, that was the story. <laughs> and I did kind of sympathize with them, but I also think that, you know, 
that was kind of a testament for the kind of roster Ricochet had at that time as well. You had, you know, Jay Nordlinger, who I worked with Jay at National Review, and I have an immense respect for Jay Nordlinger. Um, he was one of these guys I would go up and talk to. He, he knows everything about everything. So it's like if I had a question or whatever, um, a funny story with that is when I think they were like cleaning out offices or stuff like that, there was an old Stetson there. And Jay said, do you want, they were cleaning out storage or stuff. And he goes, do you want this Stetson hat? And I looked at it, I'm like, I don't really wear it. But he goes, oh, no, that was Buckley's. And I'm immediately like, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not, no. Like, <laughs> so I kept it in my, and Jay's like, I ah, just, you know, like, take it, whatever. And I was like, no, there's no, I'm not wearing William F. Buckley Stetson. Like, I don't, you know, I have not earned this hat. It's kind of like um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they put the hat on. And no, I'm not doing this. And so when I left National Review, um, a few months later, the hat just kind of sat in the, in the cut, in my, in my cubby. And I just left it. I'm like, nope. I thought about it. I'm like, nope. I'm not. I can't. I don't. I have not earned William F. Buckley Stetson. I'm sorry, um, but I do. I do. I do love Jay a lot. I don't retweet Jay a lot, but I read him all of the time still. Um, thanks, Rob. That was that was an embarrassing story. That was fun. While we're on this topic, Joseph, you're up. Hello. Joseph was J- Joseph was one of the uh, one of the invitees yesterday. Who, who got to got to the privilege of seeing the test run with me and Charlie. Uh, over here, which was totally my fault. We, I was here with Charlie just trying to kind of do a setup and a dry run. And I went, what does this button do? And I invited everyone who was following me. And so we got about, what, six or seven of you in the room. Um, so that was fun. That was You guys got a little peek behind the curtain. What's going on, Joseph? Oh, not much. I was just kind of asking you what are your thoughts on, like, the whole, like, FBI situation, especially with the handling of the sort of the Texas hostage situation that happened at the synagogue and Kind of yeah, how, like uh, I got like how both the FBI always bungles this shit. So like kind of how like, the media sort of like trying to like um, cover for them. Yeah, it's interesting. If you are if you are a parent showing up to a school board meeting, you are instantly labeled a domestic terrorist on official DOJ letterhead, which was a letter that we now know was solicited by the education secretary. Um, a few of you have mentioned. You know, if if the Republicans take the House, is Biden going to be impeached? And I and I say yes. He probably won't be impeached in the Senate, so it's not he's not going to be removed. Uh, but that'll be a revenge for doing it to Trump. And this is where we're going to be forever, forever and ever. Every single president's going to be impeached from here on out. And I actually think if you're looking at reasons why, I actually think this letter from the administration is a good is a pretty good reason to do it. Um, but as you know, Joseph notes, if you, if you show up at a school board meeting and, and talk a little bit loud or whatever, or insult a school board member, you are now on a, on a watch list and somehow the FBI cannot acknowledge that when a, a guy walks into a synagogue during Shabbat religious ceremonies on a Saturday and takes a rabbi hostage, demands that the rabbi call another rabbi in New York City to get uh, this female terrorist, which we all know about, released, and the FBI can can find no motive. No, yeah, you know, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's this always, the guy. Yeah, and, that's always been, like, um, my issue with the FBI. Even going back to, like, some of the previous, like, um, mass shootings that we had, even, like, I think starting back um, to the Las Vegas shooting, like, it's always like right. kind of like my awakening to like the track record of the FBI's incompetence and their complete and total uselessness when it comes to like stopping this shit. But sure will like call Paris domestic terrorist. Yeah, I th- I thought yesterday, 
as I was paying attention to it, as I was scrolling, I thought I was going to end in the absolute worst way. When you when you hear about who was involved, when you, when you finally hear that this is, you know, a radical Islamist or whatever like that, taking a rabbi hostage, usually in Europe, these things don't end well. And, and so the whole day I'm just dreading this. I'm like, this is fuck. This is going to suck. And uh, it's thankful. And this guy, this rabbi today is giving interviews and you should go listen to him. I mean, they basically threw a chair at the guy and then ducked out the door. And then that's when uh, the unit, the SWAT units breached and put an end to all of this nonsense. Yeah, um, I did. Uh, yeah, I did read that one. Um, but couldn't this also like spring to like a broader problem of like how like anti-Semitism is mostly just like kind of swept on the rug, whereas like the media yeah. and sort of like um, politicians were more, more or less focused more on like anti-black racism. And, January 6th. Like, yeah. And all that, whereas like they'll sweep, they'll sweep like any sort of anti-Semitism on the rug or like excuse like, or will excuse it like in the name of like freeing Palestine and all that shit. Right. It's, um, and we know they do it. This is the, because, and, and you have to thank social media for this where we can see them doing it. We, you know, when, when the telegraph says a man with an English accent and things like that. And it, this takes me, the reason they do it is they're afraid of the backlash that communities might feel. And they, and this has gone back to, 10, you know, 20 years where we're not going to, we're not going to tell you the truth of the story, meaning the identity of the attacker, the reasons for the attack, because they're worried that marginalized communities are suddenly going to just, you know, have yeehaw hicks and their monster trucks driving through their houses. And that's, that's what they believe. They really believe that in the worst of us as a people, and I'm not talking about the worst of us as a right. I'm not talking even about skin color, but we saw this with Waukesha. We saw this with you know, well, we can't tell the truth of this story. We can't tell you the identity or the reasonings of why this person did this, because that's going to cause a backlash towards, you know, you know, African-American communities. And we, we have to make sure that, you know, we, we prevent that by not telling you the truth. And that's not journalism. It's not mean your job is to tell us the truth of what's going on. And of course, you know, Norm MacDonald, RIP said the best thing about this on Twitter. He summed it up and said, my biggest fear is that ISIS will get a nuclear weapon and kill 50 million people. He goes, can you imagine the backlash towards peaceful Muslims then? And it's so, you know, succinct towards that whole thing. And, you know, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. And yes, it's obviously it shouldn't happen and it's horrible when it happens, but that's not an excuse as a journalist to withhold information or, as the FBI is a criminal investigation unit to tell us, uh, yeah, we don't know the motive because that, that ultimately leads to more anti-Semitism and it leads to more dangerous anti-Semitism and it leads to more attacks because they just, they know that they can, you know, glorify this and get away with it. Um, it's, it's, it's tale as old as time. We just saw it again. Waukesha, we saw this it was a two day news cycle. The, the hostage situation in Texas, which is now an international investigation. I think that they have uh, authorities in the UK talking to his teen, two teenage sons now. Um, so you now have, um, oh God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I was saying that New York Times didn't even have it on their front page. Now that could have been, that could have been because it went too late into the night, but they didn't have a single mention that there was even a hostage situation in Texas yesterday. And there's a reason for that. And we all know what it is. And we know that, you know, if this turned out to be, you know, a 4chan echo fascist like it has been in the past, 
uh, we know we would be hearing about this, you know, so close to Martin Luther King Day. And, and you know, this, this just proves why we need to pass the Voting Rights Act. And we, we would be hearing all of that. And again, the, the only way to real combat it is to just call them out on the spot. The AP ended up deleting their tweet over it, which was weird because the AP was quoting the FBI. So the AP was getting torn apart, rightfully so, over a quote from the FBI. Well, the reason why people weren't tearing apart the FBI on Twitter is because it wasn't the FBI's account that did it. It was just simply the AP saying it. You know, we don't, we don't have a, you know, there was no specific threat to the Judaism community here. There was no issue directly related to the, the Judaism community. And I, I said on Twitter, it's like, no, the, the hostage taker did not specifically ask to speak to Woody Allen. Therefore, this was not, you know, uh, anti-Semitism. And so the AP deletes the tweet and Neon Taster, Noam Blum, on Twitter correctly noted, he goes, why the fuck are you deleting an accurate tweet that accurately quotes what the FBI was saying? It looks like you're acting like the FBI's press shop. And this is, again, this is an institutional problem. It's an institutional problem with the FBI. Um, I don't have a problem with them monitoring, you know, white, uh, a threat of white supremacy. And, and I don't have a problem with them monitoring uh, militiamen threat or possibly the Oath Keepers threat or anything of like that nature. But the idea that they put the emphasis on this, and of course we have this DOJ letter where, you know, parents, you know, parents are getting kind of rowdy, and that this shit happens, and this guy just floats under the radar. Um, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the priorities, and more and more and more, it looks like the FBI is just a completely bureaucratic, uh, corrupt institution. Abolish it and salt the earth, Timothy. You're up. Hello. Uh, hey. um, let me preface my remarks with uh, Taiwan as a country. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But, yeah. but, uh, uh, just to establish creds. But then, um, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, if you zoom out over the narrative uh, over the last two years of the pandemic, you know, early days, um, uh, at least on the right, China looks really, really bad um, in, in terms of it, there was even talk at the beginning about maybe this was a bioweapon. And um, I'm still not necessarily for sure that that's not the case. But then, then a year later, uh, um, there's we we find this information about the NIH funding, um, uh, which I think you had a lot to do with publicizing. Um, but it it, it kind of does some interesting narrative work of Americanizing the COVID origins. Um, you know, putting you know Fauci's an American, it puts American fingerprints on it, and um, it, it's like over the two years, a bit of blame has been shifted from the from the um, Chinese over to basically over to the Americans. And I'm just wondering to what extent you think that absolves the Chinese, um, at least in, in the, in the, uh, you know, from the aspect of COVID origin, although maybe not in terms of, you know, lying about it and, uh, covering it up to safe face. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the circumstances. Uh, it does not absolve. I mean, this, this originated in Wuhan, China, they, you know, they did not disclose when it happened. They actively worked to cover it up. There's, you know, the, the erasing of cell phone data from the towers. They shut down the cell phone towers around the Wuhan Institute. They basically hosed everything down in a five-mile radius and then just hoped it went away. They're like, okay, I think we got it. They also actively arrested scientists who went, this is a new, you know, respiratory virus in China. And China's like, nah, no, it's not. Don't go around saying that or you're fucking dead. And so, you know, to that extent, yeah, it's Ch China still, to me, holds the responsibility for this. And we know that, that no one's going to hold them responsible. And that's what's also needed in this. It's a, it's a world, it, this should be a worldwide condemnation. It should have happened months ago. 
But of course, we know the, the power, the economic power China wields. It's, it all goes back to the same thing. This, you know, not speaking up about the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang and not speaking up about human rights abuses and the democratic crackdowns in Hong Kong and the shuttering of newspapers, the disappearance of athletes. This all feeds into why we have to know and we have to punish China for what happened for this pandemic because they know they can get away with it. And who knows what they decide to do with the next pandemic. I, I don't, again, I, I don't fully, you know, subscribe to bioweapon theory. I think it's possible. It's, I mean, we don't know. That's the, that's the whole point. And this is, this is why it's such an outrage with Fauci and Collins is kind of what you said is effectively the American taxpayer funded a pandemic. And yeah, okay. So we don't know. The problem is, is we don't know where the money went. So uh, the Wuhan Institute got something like $230,000 of this grant money that went all over the world. So it went to EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance uses it to hire scientists and to travel to the southern caves of China where they start licking bad assholes or something. I don't know what they're doing. Um, there, was, there was reports of respiratory disease outbreak with those groups. They then transfer those bats and those animals to the Wuhan Institute they start drawing blood. They start experimenting with it. We have no idea what happens once it goes in the doors of that laboratory. None. We have no, because it's the Chinese government, they black everything out. So that's the problem that Fauci needs to answer for. Why are you putting grant money to a hostile foreign nation and then just trusting them? Just going, ah, you guys, you guys got it from here. Yeah, whatever. And that to me is another thing Fauci has to answer for. And again, I... I wish, again, we had politicians who were composed and calm and asking him this question, like, what what happened to the money? Do you know what happened to the money and what happened to the research once it hit the Wuhan Institute? Yes or no, doctor. And let him squirm with that one. Just let him, he'll do his thing. Yeah, you don't know there was no gain of function. And then we find out there was gain of function. Fauci lied right there. And again, that's not a lie that's going to get him thrown in prison. So temper your expectations, people. <laughs> that's one of my things. Um, so how much is like U.S. culpable for this? I, I don't feel culpable for it. Um, I, I didn't have a say, but I feel like we can be culpable going forward by saying no more tax money to this ever, period. You guys kind of blew it. Um, for those of you who saw John Stewart's appearance on Stephen Colbert, that really did feel like a turning the corner moment. Because that was you know, one of their own spouting conspiracy nonsense all of a sudden. And, and they were just like, oh, shit. And Stuart said something that was really great in that is, you know, when our guys learned to split the atom, uh, we could have done one of two things. And again, this is facetious, but he said we could have done one of two things. We could have used that energy and that knowledge to power every single house in this country, or we could build a bomb. And we build the bomb. And so... I, I'm of just that attitude of exactly what Alina Chen hears, full transparency on all of this stuff. And if Fauci doesn't want to become full transparent, then, then we can maybe talk about prosecutorial conduct here. Um, I think that that's the problem here is, yes, the U.S. taxpayer possibly funded a pandemic that killed 12 million people. We don't know because the money and the research disappears behind a curtain that China controls. So I, I don't think we necessarily need to go in there with, you know, guns blazing to find out the truth of this. I think that there's probably a paper trail. And I think that it's even going to be, I, I just wrote in my piece, eventually this stuff is going to come out. And probably two, three years from now, we're going to learn, you know, members of our media suppress this stuff uh, much the same way they did with Andrew Cuomo because they needed to have a foil for Donald Trump. 
The problem for Fauci is Rand Paul is a poor excuse for Donald Trump. Tr- Trump could suck up the oxygen of, of the entire media cycle. And Fauci doesn't have that anymore. And that's a problem. And that's where, if you've seen, you know, it's be- his, his emails and his answers and his attitudes have become much more noticeable now that you don't have, like, you know, Trump spraying bullshit 24-7. And that's a problem. That's, a, that's you know, one of the problems for Andrew Cuomo. Um, and I think that there's a there's an effort in media to try to make like Rand Paul that, or to try to make Ron DeSantis that, and it's just it doesn't work. Do you uh, do you have a comment on the uh, the quantity of the money that was funded? Because it sounds like there's something always puzzling to me has been it's I mean it sounds like a big number. It's a fifth of a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the China wasn't I mean China could surely fund that themselves if they were really interested in it, and the fact that the you know funding is required from the NIH suggests that they actually weren't interested in that kind of research. Although I agree you know with everything else you said as to why we should you know be super pissed at China. I'm pissed at China, but I'm just on this particular issue it just seems like they weren't actually that interested in this this kind of research yeah i think that's an interesting observation um but i mean the money wasn't just i mean it wasn't going to china it was going to eco health alliance who's the third party liaison and this is why you need answers from peter dozik you need to know his full relationship with chinese scientists or the government of china and this is this is always a fun little slip that fauci does as well when he says you know i trust chinese scientists i trust i trust the work they're doing like you know, when Fauci is still one of the last three people on Earth pushing a zoonotic origin. And, you know, even what last week, I, I still think it just came from the, the inside of a pangolin. Who knows? Um, and now we know from his emails, we know why they're pushing that. We know why, you know, going back to February, they're downplaying the, a, a lab leak possibility when everyone around them is going, yeah, it's like 60-40 that this came out of the lab. But we're not, we, can't, we can't say that because that's going to damage science. And that's going to damage all the important work we've done. And we can't have people out here doubting the science because then we, God knows what else they'll doubt. And that could be climate. It could be uh, anything. And I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> you blew it. And so it's not so much. I, I like your observation about, you know, China wasn't interested in this. Well, you know, it was being funded through, you know, U.S. grant money. So China's, you know, they we don't know if China put more of their own money behind this funding. I'm sure they were pretty much happy to just kind of sit there with men's and gun, you know, men with guns and just peek, peek over the shoulder of what these people were doing. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Sure, Timothy. Where are we at here? I'm going to try to get through pretty much as, as many people that want to do this this first time around. So um, let's go to Opie. And then I'm going to remove you. Hopefully, hopefully, I didn't kick Tim out of the room. Uh, can you hear me? There he is. There's Opie. Hi, Opie. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, I'm now in a position where I had to change my name to Opie, but uh, can't be public here. Um, but uh, can't have my association with a Stephen Miller uh, right? going public. I already you go to not. Duke. They you already hate him there enough. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm sure everyone saw the Axios article on the Trump DeSantis stuff, and it's already been talked about um, at nauseum. But yep. there are two things that I wanted to get your take on. Um, first off, since I live in Alabama, unfortunately, um, uh, I'm kind of seeing the Trump versus you know future Trump taking on taking an in person war right now with the primary we're going through right now. Yeah, uh, the Alabama Senate primary is way more interesting than any of the post-apocalyptic shit that's happening in Ohio right now, um, because you have Katie Britt, who's like 38, 
who's the former chief of staff of Shelby, who's retiring, of course, versus Mo Brooks, who's the Republican version of Maxine Waters. Um, and Mo Brooks' entire ad, if you haven't seen it, he only has one, and it's just Trump talking. He doesn't say anything. It's His entire poster is endorsed by Trump, and in little letters, Mo Brooks. Um, wow. Well, Katie's is, you know, talking about, you know, Biden and business and immigration. And it's really the Youngkin strategy where not going to trash Trump, but ignore Trump pretty much and right. compliment him when need be. And she's, right. you know, obviously half the Twitter track cons have the hots for her, but you know, whatever. I've met her. She's wonderful. I'm voting for her. And it'll be nice after the Roy Moore situation that I can vote for an Alabama person. <laughs> I had, I had the vote for Doug Jones and I did that proudly. No, I'm, no, I'm, look, no, I'm looking. I'm no. looking. I'm looking at her picture. Yeah, she looks like you know Roy Moore would have been interested in her about 13 years ago. I mean, the guy's banned from like Roy Moore was banned like from six of the malls in the state of Alabama. He was not a surprise yeah. when that, that came out. Um, and his polling but, never got out of the teens either. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting that you know I doubt you could name a more Trump state than Alabama. Um, and she's winning the polling. She's up anywhere between five and six. And I think it just kind of goes with this thing that even this being endorsed by Trump doesn't carry the same weight as it used to back like 2018 or 2017 or 2019. Um, and that Trump's not favor, but just, you know, I think you kind of, the, the danger of Trump being the nominee in, in 24 is just kind of thing where people, there are bigger things that people care about. Uh, than Trump right now, even in the Republican Party, in the super MAGA wing of the party, because people can't feed their kids as well. Their um, paychecks are going down. And if someone's just wants to talk about Trump or talk about issues, the person who's talking about issues is going to win that race. Um, Do you think think part of this is because Trump doesn't know? Has Trump endorsed anybody? Has he gone to Alabama to speak? Is this just something Trump's not interested in? He's gone to Alabama and speak. Now, there's secrets about this. Mo Brooks is from Huntsville which is in the, uh, in the north part of the state, um, on the Tennessee border. And in the last, like, 45 years, there's only been one statewide person who's been elected from nor- in the north part of the state. Politically, the southern parts of the state runs it. And so Mo Brooks was already a pretty weak candidate. Um, and it just took someone with some know-how to beat him. Um, and so in, in, Al- in Alabama, I'm already seeing people kind of, you know, forget about Trump and the wayside. And with this happening, along with the DeSantis clip, I'm starting to disagree with one of the things you said, and that's one of the first times it's ever happened, is that Trump freezing the field. And I hope yeah. I'm right about this, just because, you know, I'm 25, I'm young, but I still remember 2012 and Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. And I'm, think, I'm just starting to think with all that DeSantis has going for him and the know-how he has, I think even if Trump even says half-heartedly he's running in 2023. I think DeSantis, there's a good chance he's going to run because who knows what the biggest issues are going to be in 2028. Right. 2024, the biggest issues are still going to be COVID. It's still going to be school closings, CRT, however you want to define it. It's going to be issues that DeSantis is going to be big on. Um, And then who knows what 2028 is like. So for the first time in a while, I'm feeling somewhat hopeful Hold on to that for as long as possible. Trust me on this. I became a registered voter in 2016, and then 2017 happened with Roy Moore. And every every falsehood I've tried to claim about my poor state became true (laughs) when Roy Moore became the nominee. 
It was like it was, I was a sophomore in college. It was immediate. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's, that's I don't kinda know. How, that's that's kind of how I was with Trump. You know, you had a, a generation of like young Republicans. You had the Tea Party guys. So you had Cruz. You had Paul. Rand Paul. You had Marco Rubio. You kind of had. You know, this younger generation coming up, which were obviously going to be running against a 74, 72 year old Hillary Clinton. And I was just salivating. I was just like, this is going to be great. And then, yeah, all the plans go out the window as soon as that big, goofy bastard comes down the escalator. The other thing I was just thinking of is that if what I'm fearful of and anyone who has grandparents can see can say this, um, I'm just fearful of that if Trump becomes a nominee, then you kind of lose the age argument against Biden. Mm-hmm. And Trump, you know, I've always said, you know, Biden is your crepid grandfather who's dying next year. And Trump is your coked up uncle yelling obscenities into the wind. Um, <laughs> uh, well, the coked up uncle's getting up there in age. And anyone's had a grandparent who's great in 2021 and then terrible in 2022. And so I think, I just hope people know they could be running a risk. But then you mentioned the thing, he could just run third party and then throws everything yes. to the wall, which I, I think, I think that that's a possibility. I, I'm, you know, based on the things I'm seeing, especially in the last three weeks, I'm about 80, 20 that Trump is going to run. I think he's going to run. Um, I, I don't know what that does. I saw a lot of good tweets over this whole thing with DeSantis and Trump and, um, if Trump starts echoing the media arguments against DeSantis, I think I think you're right. People are going to look at him and go, oh, we're tired. We are tired of the crazy old uncle act. So, you know, supposedly in this Axios story, Trump's behind the scenes calling DeSantis dull and boring. And I'm thinking that's not that's not an insult that's going to work in your favor. You know, like that's something I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we'll take that. We'll take somebody who's a little bit of a nerd and a little bit of a square and who's boring and dull and, you know, but who can kind of harness that, that media attack and zero in on it. And that was my first thought when I said, I'm like, that's not something that I think a lot of people are going to, you know, side with Trump on is yeah, he's dull and boring. Yeah, we'll take that. That'll be great. Um, And and I always warned, and one of the things I warned with him in 2016 is it wasn't that immediate election. It wasn't that, yeah, I thought he was going to lose. It wasn't, you know, not one of these, the damage he's going to do to the country, anything. I I took his presidency at face value. I said, here's, these are good things. These are bad things. Um, January 6th was obviously a very, very, very bad thing. Um, But I, I, you know, I don't reflexively jump into these positions. And the thing is, I was always worried about the long-term damage. And what I mean by long-term damage is he's not going to go away. So if he lost in 2020, he's going to run again. And even if then, he's not going to shut up. He's not like a falcon you can hood. You know, you just put a thing over him and he's, you know, you, you put a thing over the birdcage and, and that's it. And so if for some reason GOP voters reject him, he will also take that as a slight. And he'll just say, all right, fuck it. I still have... 20% of the base who, who still believe I'm president, they're my, you know, they're my kooky base, whatever, but their vote counts just as much as any of yours. And I'm going to, I'm going to say third party and I'm going to cause as much damage. And if you don't want to elect me, you can get president Kamala Harris and see what you guys think about that. And that's exactly, you know, how I see it playing out in my head. And the good news for that scenario is for, you know, I'm sure several of you who are listening now want to commit seppuku. Um, I, I've been wrong on electoral politics. It's not it's not my area. I've been wrong as much as I've been right. Um, so that's the good news for those of you who just jumped out the window. 
Um, but I, I do think he's going to run. And I think it's going to, you know, the good news for that is if you don't want him to be the nominee, you're going to have a shrunken field. You're not going to have 19 people on the stage again this year. You'll have maybe three or four because people like Nikki Haley aren't going to run. Not, not that if she get the nomination anyway. Um, but you're going to have a whole slew of those candidates who are like, nah, this isn't fucking worth it. I think Tom Cotton's one of those who would probably, in a year without Trump, would probably look at running. He's going to go, nah, I'm staying here in the Senate. <laughs> you know, I have a nice, cushy office. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to be called pencil neck Tom on, on a debate stage. Thanks. I'm not going through that. Keep going. Sorry, Anthony. Or sorry, Opie. Go, go ahead. And the other thing was, you know, I, I don't know. Al, Alabama's made me less right wing, just, and I'm sure a Hawaii person has made them left less left wing. Um, but the line that keeps jumping out at me is that what something like Ron could use against Trump in a primary or at all is the, is, I mean, going back to the Fauci discussion is, you know, you gave us Fauci, either you're, uh, you got us into this mess. You either uh, willingly gave a, gave power to a bureaucrat or did not realize um, how bad he was. Um, I mean, there's a shift happening, but it may not, I mean, it may not be enough for, you know, that 20% may always be there. And so I think that's just something that the right tied themselves to someone who is incredibly beneficial and incredibly damaging at the same time, like you've always said. And uh, yeah. I'll give up my I time. Think that that, I think it would be a great attack, not that I'm giving advice. Yeah. I think it's a great attack for DeSantis to ask Trump, why didn't you fire Fauci? I think I would love to see Trump answer that. Like genuinely... Not as a gotcha. Not, I'd love to just see DeSantis go, why didn't you ask for his resignation? Why didn't you fire him? And I'm willing to bet it's because, you know, he had media reporters and Maggie Haberman in his ear going, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to you're going to you're going to not be elected. And so there's a lot of things DeSantis can parry right back to Trump on a lot of this stuff. Um, John Eckdahl said on Twitter, if Trump starts repeating media attacks on DeSantis, that's going to turn a lot of people off of him. Because we've, we've seen it for two years that DeSantis is boogeyman number one in all of this. And so if Trump starts repeating those attacks and starts going on Morning Joe again, um, I don't know how much of a taste people have for that. Yeah. And then uh, go get a guy who can throw the ball to Jerry Judy, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. People are asking me about the Broncos and like, what, what should they do? I, I think if Aaron Rodgers wins the Super Bowl, I think it's a good chance he could. I think he's done. I don't really want Russell Wilson. I think you're getting um, Jimmy Garoppolo and you like it. Uh, I would. Well, I don't think he's really an upgrade. Uh, he's, 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 he, my, my, my number one choice is Gardner Minshew. I, just because I want the fucking jersey. That's it. Like, I want I want that dude in a Broncos uniform. And I, I don't care if he throws 30 interceptions. I want Uncle Rico in a Broncos uniform. He just, he, and I want to see the, I want to see him in a throwback uniform. I want to see him in the bright blue helmet. And I'm just like, that's my guy right there. That's my guy. Um, I, I think I'd rather just see them go draft a dude and just be like, let's come on, let's go, go get a guy. I like, I think their draft position now is eight or nine or somewhere. So I'm like, Oh, are there like, or 11? That's, that's enough to go up and get Kenny Pickett. I'm, I'm fascinated not, by that pick. I would say as just an SEC guy, Matt Corral is. Yeah, that's the name. He's being floated. That's the, that's the guy. I would not – I don't know. This is an SEC guy, not Willis, not Pickett. It's just Matt, Matt Corral gave my Alabama defense nightmares. So, uh, that, I, I, You know I, how I judge quarterbacks? I judge quarterbacks almost solely on their name. Like you, you see quarterbacks in the draft and you just go, okay, that dude has a quarterback name. Kenny Pickett, that's a quarterback name. Who is the guy for Georgia? Uh, Stetson Bent or Bennett Stetson? Stetson? Bennett. 
that, that's, that's a fucking quarterback's name, okay? Was like, Paxton I would, Lynch I would draft name? that guy in the second round just because of his name. And that's Steve. that's literally so if I look at a guy and I and I look at his name and if I look at him, I'm like, nah, nah, that's Steven, not a quarterback. Does that mean you thought Paxton Lynch was a quarterback name? No, that's not really no, because I said I also look at the guy and he looked like Dick in a Box. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't fucking believe they took Dick in a Box and not Josh Allen. So yeah. yeah, we we need to go get somebody. I I just want it to be. I I have three Super Bowls. I'm fine with it. Uh, I I I just want I I want someone. This is kind of what intrigues people in Denver about Drew Locke. Is he's he's is he's bad, but he's really fucking exciting bad. Like he'll roll out and he'll stumble and and then he'll throw the ball seventy yards down the field. And there's that hope that maybe Jerry Judy will catch it. And I'm like, yeah, that's I'm good with that. So whatever. All right. Well, thanks for this, Stephen. Uh, Cheers, Opie. Cheers. Come back anytime. Always. All right. We're going to move on to, yeah, for those of you who are just joining, I am a, I am a dyed in the wool Denver Broncos guy. I, I adopted the New York Jets when I moved to New York City, um, mainly because the tickets were cheap. Oh, and, 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 and I like, and I like the uniforms. I don't, I don't like the new ones, but I love the old, like white on white uniforms. So, God, um, the Jets. I know. And, and, and they were like horrible, but you could get good seats. <laughs> Going on to uh, T. Oh, shit. T, uh, cue yourself back up. I just missed you. I'm sorry. Holy crap. T was just waiting to uh, talk for like 25 minutes. Let me find him. Hold on. I might need, uh, I might need, I might need like moderator help here to find that. because I think I just lost him. T, I apologize. If you cue yourself back up, um, I'll take you next. Jim, go ahead. Fuck. Go ahead, Jim. Unmute your phone. All right. I said I can find T here. I totally, like, screwed up. Jim, are you there? Jim. All right. Jim's gone. I'm going to have to figure out the, uh, like, the proper... uh, solution to booting people I, I think i gave jim a fair shot there jim cue up as well uh eric you're up unmute your mic that's you um eric has my has my photoshop that i did of desantis as, as his icon <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i i I, uh, I troll the people in california here with that so that's good uh, yeah uh I, just uh maybe like two quick questions like um as a person who used to watch red eye back in the day like, what do you think is like sort of keeping, you know, Fox from having more of that type of a show that sort of was like, in a way, like apolitical uh, and just was just like making funny jokes about like cultural stuff as opposed to maybe it's like my subjective opinion, but like Gutfeld is like just comes off as more sort of purely partisan. Um, uh, my second uh, sort of question comment is, uh, you talked about like school choice being the silver bullet and um, yeah. And I just like, as a lifelong Californian, um, like it's sort of, it's sort of like as also part of the Batman begins caucus. <laughs> like I've sort of had my qualms with the Republican party here in California, just sort of like doubling down on like just cringe cultural issues. And instead of, instead of actually like, like campaigning on issues that actually affect people's lives that they could actually make inroads in a lot of sort of like low income uh, minority communities here in California. I was wondering what your thoughts on those two 
Yeah, I think I think it's funny that we didn't even have to do much to get the Democrat Party to start saying fuck parents. They kind of just got there on their own. And I, to this day, I can't believe that. Like, I can't believe that they, they thought the lesson of Glenn Youngkin was to double down. Uh, OK, um, I know that today there was a thing going around on Twitter. I didn't retweet this because I was I don't know the source. I get skeptical. I'm I am I am a born skeptic with. And just about anything in media, whether it's left, right, you know, I need three sources before I, I believe something. But this was reported in the Detroit News. Cordy DeAngelis retweeted as Michigan Democratic Party Facebook post. Not sure where this parents should control what is taught in schools because they are our kids is originating. But parents do have an option to choose to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire. The purpose of a public education in a public school is not to teach kids only what parents want them to be taught is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client of the public school is not the parent, but the entire community, the public. Um, That's a billboard. Like, just put that on a fucking billboard. Um, They later deleted, and this is when I tweeted out, when I was, oh, I guess that was real. It said, we've deleted a post that ignored the important role parents play and should play in Michigan public schools. Parents need to have a say in their children's education. End of story. The post does not reflect the views of Michigan Democrats. It should not be misinterpreted as a statement of support from our elected official and candidates. I, I mean, it did. It was posted right under you and Michigan Democrats. Um, as, for, as many people know for a while, I've said school choice is a silver bullet. And you look at the reaction to Glenn Youngkin today doing the executive order to opt out of mask mandates. All he, all he said was, I'm not removing the man. I'm, I'm removing the mandate as an opt as an opt out, which means parents, if you don't want to put your kid in a mask at school, you don't have to. If you still want your kid wearing an N95 snapped around their head, okay, it's your kid. You can do that. And just that has driven them batshit crazy up the wall. And I think you have to look at the reaction. Whatever is really getting their you know juices going reaction wise, you generally know if you're over the target with an issue. Um, I saw some kind of what Eric said is, you know, Kevin McCarthy's Twitter account showed like he was on Fox News. He was on Ingram or something. And he said, you know, if we take back the house, we're going to talk about important issues like lowering taxes and, you know, all of this and and just all of this outdated bullshit. And he got so much blowback on Twitter from people on the right. They were like, how are you where you know, why does 2005 want their talking points back here? And, you know, this is this is a little different, you know, voting based where if Kevin McCarthy does that, there's no guarantee he's going to be House Speaker. So he better play his cards right on this. Um, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of McCarthy in general, um, but I look at that and I go, you've clearly found the issue. You've clearly found the issue, which is you have and there's a few of them out there. There's a few GOP polls out there going, yep, we're the party of parents now. And you see that and the Dems can only come back with. Jim Crow, you're probably on the right track. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be insane to see. And that's going back to what, you know, Opie said, I don't know if that's a, 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 nat- a national message Trump could really get behind for longer than three seconds before he starts ranting about how Arizona was stolen from him. Um, as far as like Fox and full disclosure, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a backup writer for, for Gutfeld show on occasion. I don't do it full time. I do it if they need a writer or if whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that it's just a different atmosphere now. Um, I'm kind of like with you, like I, I like red eye and things were lighter then, and it was just kind of a funnier time. 
And I think Fox has kind of adjusted with the time of what the rest of cable news is. I think the five is probably the closest thing you would have to out, uh, to old Red Eye. I don't watch the five. I don't watch much of Fox. I watch Brett Bayer and then I turn it off. It's kind of, and it has nothing to do with Fox in particular. I'm not a cable news guy. Um, I don't think anybody should be a cable news person, but um, I don't know. I think it's just Fox adjusting to the, to the environment we're in. I kind of agree with you. We kind of need to have another red eye style show. Um, Greg is cleaning house and he's, he's, he's doing it with a smaller staff. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel and these people have writing teams of, you know, 20 people and then full production studio to go out and shoot things and do things. And Gutfeld is kicking the shit out of him with a third of that. And that should be a message to those guys. And of course they're not going to get the message much like the Michigan democratic party. Um, I've, I've always said school choice is your silver bullet and it's, it looks like they know it. Do you think, that the Republican Party has the ability to sort of pivot from like, I mean, when I try to get involved here, like locally in here in Orange County, like it just seemed like, you know, it's just a bunch of like anti-vaxxers, which like is just going to drive, you know, your like, you know, your the Hollywood celebrities. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I'm. I'm not a registered Republican. I, I tore up my registration the day that Donald Trump got the nomination. Now, that doesn't mean, again, as, as you've seen, I'm not able to say, yeah, that was pretty good. That was, you know, that was a good thing that he did there. The Abrams Accords are, are great and, and stuff like that. Um, you still have to be able, as someone who looks at media and looks at politics, I still think you have to be able to do it with sobering eyes. And way too much of the, the right's anti-Trump pundit class don't have sobering eyes anymore. Um, so I really think it depends on what your national message is. If, if a national message, like you say, is an orange count, like this footage coming out of LA with the trains and just the track, I mean, it's insane. And it's, it, I just made the joke, like, I think it was union Pacific is now trying to solve the problem of all the package thefts off their trains. And the solution is reroute them out of fucking California. We're not even going to have our trains go there anymore. Um, yeah, specifically, I yeah, think, LA I think, County. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I've said this before, you, you get involved in politics. You say, you know, they're all kind of like a bunch of nutty anti-vaxxers. And I guess, you know, I would look at that and say, well, if you aren't that, then you're, you're the one rep- representing the other side of that voice. And, you know, I've always said, if you're in local politics, in some of these heavily deep blue districts, Baltimore, for example, you, you have to just keep chipping away at it. And, and hopefully... You know, some people just go, yeah, we've had enough of this shit. We've had enough of this. Um, I don't know if California is going to get like that. I also think it depends on what your national message is in the next two years. If your message is like what you said, if it's school choice, if it's, um, you know, getting inflation under control, if it's, uh, you know, critical race theory nonsense. And it's not even critical race theory. It's race essentialism. It's pitting people against each other because of their race. Um if these things are kind of your message, I think you have a pretty good chance to pick up votes in places that you're you're not expecting. If your message is the 2020 election was stolen from me and I'm not going to shut up about it for nine months, you're probably going to have a problem. That's going to be pretty interesting to see because uh, I know the UC system, the, like that, uh, like UCLA and UC Irvine, and like is uh, stopping using has stopped using the SAT as part of yeah. their admittance and. That's like, you know, and there, you know, there's sort of a lot of, 
uh, well, I'll just say stuff brewing within a, a lot of the first, like first uh, generation immigrant community in, uh, among Asians. Like, yeah, I know that I know there's all different types of, you know, like Koreans, Chinese and stuff like that. But, right. you know, like once they sort of see that, like, hopefully, like once they sort of see the elite, like, is just plotting against them and their families, then hopefully things will t- turn around. But <laughs> yeah, they will. They will. Too much of a skeptic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would hope that they vote for the opposite of what is being shoved down their throats or taken away from them. And I'm not. I'm not one of these guys on the right who is demographics is destiny. I've never. I've never been that way. I've never been a hard, you know, border hawk. Um, I always made the joke that okay, if we have an immigration problem, then you need, you know, every GOP representative who can speak Spanish sitting at the border with a hot cup, you know, a hot pot of coffee and a voter registration rule. Um, so I'm not one of these demographics as destiny things. And, you know, that's one thing I've noticed, and it can't be understated, the 2020 election was a very bad election for the Democrats. Trump, obviously, Trump overshadows all of that. But when you go down and you look at the border districts that they lost and you look at some of the uh, wins in California in the House with what you said with, you know, reps who are young women of Asian descent and stuff like that, that cannot be understated of what kind of an accomplishment that was. You won't see it in the media. You won't see glass ceiling shattered. You won't see anything like that. But you still have to kind of acknowledge it. And you almost you're almost glad the media ignores those kinds of stories because they don't see the earthquake that's going to happen under their feet, probably coming this November. Uh, thanks for that, Eric. I'm going to get um, Jenny up here. It's been a sausage fest up until now. It's, it's <laughs> been a complete sausage fest, a happy hour. Thank you, thank you, Jenny, for injecting some you know femininity into this conversation. Well, and I'm calling from Bonco Country out here in Colorado. Okay. So, uh, go ahead. I am just so happy that you wrote your piece today on Fauci at The Spectator. I thought it was fabulous. And um, I'd like to ask everybody who's listening to just Google Emerging Viruses, the title of a book written in the 90s. It's Nature, Accident, or Intentional. The man who wrote this book, Dr. Leonard Horowitz, is one of the most deplatformed men out there. He's claimed that they've tried to kill him six times because as each new virus has come out since the late 90s, and I'm talking about... SARS. Do it with viruses? Yeah, it's emerging viruses. Is the title of the book: Nature, Accident, or Intentional. Okay. So, SARS, Ebola, H1N1, and now, of course, COVID. With each infection virus that's been presented to us, uh, it has been his position that they are all biological weapons, and the book lays out the foundation of why he believes that he was able to go into the library at Chapel Hill tied to Fort Detrick and get his hands on the actual documents. And so it's in this book. He has only made it up to like Alex Jones type level interviews. And that was, even that was like a decade ago, but he is somebody who has been absolutely ghosted and his YouTube channel was pulled about the time the Ebola rollout was happening, gosh, what was that, like eight years ago? Right. And so hundreds of millions of views on his videos, video proof of Dr. Robert Gallo, who's the guy who so-called discovered the AIDS virus, was actually the guy who created the AIDS virus. And so his contention is all of this has been biological warfare. And 
it's mind bending to think about them getting away with it for 40 years. But if you're open to the idea of what this man is positing, um, it all kind of comes into focus when you look at the long-term goals, the money that has been made. And Dr. Fauci has been right there in the middle of it the whole time. Yeah, I, def I definitely think if there's one thing that's come with the pandemic, it's because of you know, Fauci being the, the central role and the central go-to media figure for this. Um, again, this comes down to transparency, and and I think you're onto something. With uh, we need we need to go back to you know every everything. I mean, and this is what I mean about you know gain of function stuff has been his life's work. Um, this this is a guy who gets excited over this stuff. If you go back and you view some of his older interviews about this, you know, the manipulation of the transmissibility of viruses, and no, I I, I don't think he's here, you know releasing it into the air like, you know, the doctor and 12 monkeys here. I'm just saying he looks at he looks at something like this and he looks at the possibilities of what it could do for science, whether we could come up with cures, we could do that. And it genuinely this kind of protein manipulation and viruses genuinely excites him uh, to his core. And not enough of people, I think, especially, you know, political right, who are just trying to write him off as, you know, a, a Nazi doctor. They don't appreciate the devout commitment he has to this stuff. And he, he's working on a scientific level. And like I said, the laws of man are, you know, th these don't really apply because what we're working on is infinitely more important. And as I've said, if, if, even if what we're working on results in the deaths of 12 million people, it just means we can come up with a cure for another one and another one and another one and another one. And well, you're right that he, you're right that he's been a central figure going back to the AIDS virus and back to, uh, Evolve and back to SARS v one, and like I said, he he testified in front of Congress about you know the work that he was doing with the Department of the Defense. The, the idea that and 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 thanks for that, Jenny. And I guess you should just go look up Leonard Horowitz if you're interested in that. Um, well, and going book. forward, can I make one more point? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Going forward, I think any time there is a cult of personality that is formed around a person like this. And that is what we've witnessed with the media the last few years. You know, there's absolutely a cult of personality. They were writing children's books about this man, Dr. Fauci, you know, absolutely brainwashing people about some kind of savior personality. Anytime we see that, I hope going forward, we can all just step back and say, no, something's off here. This is well, not right. Yeah, I mean, we could, but our media is not going to let us. They they did this primarily with Fauci because he was he was a heel for Trump. He was he was an, a, an opponent to the guy saying inject sunlight into you or, or whatever. And this is what the media does. That's why they lionized Andrew Cuomo is because oh, couldn't we have his press conferences instead? Oh, he's so calm. And and, and the boyfriend finished his meatballs and everything. And then the whole time you had people on the right going, this guy's putting people in nursing homes what the fuck is going on here why are you not noticing this and it's because he was he was an anti-trump he was a guy going against trump and so i know what you're saying in the sense of you know next time we can't let this happen well th that's what they do that's what our media does look at the cult of personality that's spraying up around ruth bader ginsburg one of my favorite things for like my more liberal or progressive minded friends is when they do the kind of yes queen with ruth bader ginsburg I asked them to name a single case that she presided over or a decision she wrote. <laughs> and then that's when the convert, that's when they get up and they leave. And, and I'm the asshole. 
But that's kind of what I mean is they do this on purpose. They're creating – they did it with Michael Avenatti. They, they, they did it you know, with, with all of these people, and they, and they don't look at – again, what you're saying is this isn't about Trump versus or Fauci versus. This is about getting to the truth no matter where exactly. it goes. Exactly. No where it goes. And if Trump you know, comes and- out looking like the right one in the end, I guess that's a crow you're just going to have to eat. Or if Fauci comes out looking like the villain – Maybe, like you said, this should be the lesson is not to fucking do this anymore, not to lionize these people. Um, well, I listened to Trump's speech on Saturday night very closely because he's come out so many times talking about how he, you know, is the person who brought us the vaccine and it was his work and he did it and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of his supporters have been really angry about that. And um on Saturday night in Arizona, he pivoted away from that and started talking about how I was never for mandates. I was all for free choice around this. And he didn't once crow about how, you know, he, he brought the vaccine into being with his rapid, uh, I can't remember the term he used, you know, they made it fast, but yeah, warp speed. You know, yeah, warp speed. Exactly. And so, you know, I think even he's backing away from that and is, is getting more nuanced in his wording. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see if if nuance in Trump is something that can ever be accomplished. Um, I thought, hey, you know, I love I, the I, guy. I absolutely <laughs> love the guy. I think he's just such a breath of fresh air after all these just boring, evil politicians. And yeah. I just think his bomb throwing in some ways saved me. I mean, I, I just loved everything he did. The people he took down, it was glorious to watch. Yeah, you're not alone on that, and, and it just depends on you know if he has enough people going into it. If you if you were going to vote in 2024 between DeSantis or Trump, who would you vote for? That's really tough because I love Ron DeSantis. I'd actually I'm a I'm a Rand Paul girl. I, I would have voted for Rand in 2016, yeah. and I'd vote for him again. But I love DeSantis, so I don't know. That'd be a tough pick. I okay. think Trump's getting pretty old. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious. I thought the funniest thing about, I didn't see, uh, and thanks Jenny. I didn't see any of his speech cause it wasn't anywhere to be found except now CNN's talking about it. Um, I thought what was funny is the one thing that the clip that they were putting around, um, about, you know, the, the white grievance stuff about, you know, white people are, you can't get therapeutics in New York. You go to the back of the line and they're, they're, you know, the resistance people in there and Rupars are pushing that clip. And I'm like, you're pushing the clip on the one thing he's right about. Um, that's an actual <laughs> policy in the state of New York is therapeutics is going through an equity model. And I, I kind of shake my head. And I'm like, you know, 90 percent of what he says is bullshit. And you're putting the one thing he says that is true out there to make fun of him. Over. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I've I guess t- you guys aren't going to you guys aren't going to learn about this. I got to um, tell you my Aaron Rupar story. It's really funny. I, I was following him on Twitter and then he, he started a sub stack, you know, and I just think his the video clips he picks are hilarious too um because sometimes they're the complete opposite of what he's claiming but he started a sub stack and i went in there and started commenting he banned me from his site within 24 hours i've never yeah. been banned so fast but it was well, just hilarious there you, go. there you go you got your rebellion streak wanting there so well thanks for having me on and good luck with the show i love colin it's been a great place to host my shows too so good luck oh, with great. it you're doing great first time Awesome. Yeah, I haven't been booted yet. And I'm not. I haven't gone into just ranting about obscenities, which I'm close to. But um, thanks, thanks, Jenny. We're, yeah. we're going to keep. We're going to keep doing this and see how it goes. So awesome. Um, I see Howard and Mateo. I'm going to take T here. Um, make the next caller. I had Charlie tell me how to do this. T, you're up. I, I apologize for 
kicking you out of the room there. Hey, don't worry about it, Steve. Can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Okay, so this will be the first time I'll do this and probably be the last time I ever do this. <laughs> uh, not, you better not have like a loaded yeah. gun. Okay. I have a background in medicine. Uh, I want. I want to. Don't want to. I just want to leave it at that. Um, I was actually very excited that Trump has recently, over the last months, come out and talked about the vaccine and so forth. But that's another story. Yeah. One of the things that people kind of stole my thunder on, but more your comments are, is that you know whether you believe like conservative numbers or not, we're looking at five million people killed from potentially an accident. Mm-hmm from the CCP. So I don't even want to call the China virus or anything like that. China is the CCP. That's what yep. they are. Yeah. What I don't understand is this is when I'm going to get into more of the, not conspiracy, but when is it freaking American for the journalists to be so goddamn cozy with our intelligence services? Because they know more yeah. than we know. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand. This is, the most important event that's happened in my life, in my work, in anything, and the intelligence chatter is drip is zero, yeah, zero, and it's mind-boggling when I talk to colleagues and so forth who think there is a Nobel Peace Prize, there is a Pulitzer. People, we have more people in Canada working on this story than we do in this country. People should be peeling their skin off to win a prize, yeah. yet. I go on and I watch the news and I see intelligence, former intelligence officers and these people and they're worthless. And why are they on TV? Like, this is bizarre to me. So I just wanted your comments on that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're hitting on a, on a favorite thing of Glenn Greenwald here, which is it is unhealthy to have our intelligence apparatus wrapped so closely around corporate media um, who they just regurgitate the same narrative over and over again. And what's funny about, and, and he's absolutely right about, you know, finding the origins of this and, you know, Fauci's emails is, is exactly why I wrote this today. There is zero intellectual curiosity about the content of Anthony Fauci's emails. And so a lot of people I know, when they see Rand Paul waving them in front of his face, their, their attitude is, well, at least someone's doing it. And I agree with that sentiment, but you have to be able to do it you know, more clever. Like as I joked that you kind of have to get him to say, you're goddamn right. I ordered the gain of function. <laughs> you kind of have to get him to go full Colonel Jessup here. Okay. Um, but he's absolutely right. This, this to me, I would argue this probably is the biggest social event of our lives. Um, you know, and I'm generation X, this is going to be with us forever. It's, it literally is something, you know, you could look at like nine 11, which is the world will change right after it happens. It is no longer that world anymore. And um, I, I have to, I have a niece who's a teenager and I tell her, I tell her to keep a journal. I tell her to write about this stuff, about what you see in high school with masks and what you're being told and what you're being taught, because this really is something you're going to look back on. She didn't have a junior prom. And I'm like, you should probably write about that. Like, what did that make you feel like? Is this something that, you know, we're going to be dealing with forever? And he's absolutely right that this should be, you know, peeling your eyes back to win a Pulitzer to to get to the bottom of all of this. And he's right. There's there's zero curiosity about it. And part of that has to do, again, with 
you know, the economic apparatus of what China is and where they have their money wrapped up. China basically said, we're going to just own the the entire entirety of American culture and American media. And then we can basically get away with whatever we want. Um, so again, while I'm not saying it's a bioweapon, you know, they're looking at this and taking notes. And since the, and since the pandemic started, they've gotten the Olympics, which I told you not to watch. Um, they tried to start a trade war with Australia. They've cracked down in Hong Kong, democratic things in Hong Kong. We know about the slave worker camps in Xinjiang, and there's just a collective shrug around the world about it. And, and I think part of it also has to do with it's a hard problem to solve that would probably involve a lot of dead American service members and Chinese and possibly nuclear war. Um, I think that there's ways of going about it that doesn't involve that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm with him. I tear my hair out almost on a daily basis at the apathy that is kind of in our ruling class and the elite class and media and intelligence apparatus that why this isn't the biggest thing that everyone is working on. And I think the answer to that is, you know, for me, at least fearful, almost far more nefarious than even I want to face on that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take only like three more here, about 10 minutes. So if, you, if you're up, just kind of say something quick. Howard, you're up. Thanks for letting me uh, have him jump the line on you. Hey, how's it going? I've been listening since the days of, uh, not listening, but reading your tweet since President Ash Carter. So <laughs> God, God cool bless him. We could, use, we could use former President Ash Carter's advice right now. Very nostalgic for the days of President Ash Carter. Yes. But, uh, the thing I kind of want to talk about was the idea of decoupling with China. And since when, you know, firms outside of China go into China, there's all these regulations. You have to do these joint ventures and all this stuff. There's, there's the incentive for China to obviously steal the intellectual property. But we have no real counter to that. And I would like to see us actually say, hey, all these like finance bros and companies and assholes, you have to make a choice. Yeah. Either you're going to do business in the United States or you're going to do business in China. And I'm a libertarian, but still, if the government needs to, you know, put the boot down on stopping a genocide on business, um, I'm, I'm with it. We're forever whatever. They screw up inevitably. Uh, basically, I just kind of want to make that comment and yeah. just address it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm hardcore decoupling from China. And I know it would hurt. I'm, I'm hardcore, you know, stop all travel. <laughs> Like until until this stuff is certain out. I'm talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about, you know, say labor camps. I'm talking about, you know, until Hong Kong is democratic again, until aggression toward Taiwan, which is an independent autonomous country uh, stops. I'm I am hardcore. I think you're looking at a threat like the Soviet Union. And again, as the previous guy said, there's kind of a collective shrug towards that. Um, they they they. You know, I, I don't think I'm still not there with they started the, the pandemic on purpose, but they kind of stacked a deck with all of the pieces in case something like this happened, where now they're cashing in fucking favors left and right, where it's no, you're not going to talk about this. No, you're not going to talk. No, you're not going to let you No, you're not going to criticize us. No. And I think that that is more of the case than, you know, you know, ha ha ha, here comes a virus. Um, and so, but I'm, I'm kind of with Howard. I'm, I'm a hardcore decoupler of, of China, uh, Mateo and then Jen, and then we're going to wrap up. This has been, this has been relatively air free. I'm, I haven't like given anybody the ejector button yet. Go ahead. So yeah, in terms of China, the theme of the show, before I say my little thing and, and give you a, uh, 
a uh, something to think about or respond to. Sure. In terms of China, when I think of China, I think of the emergency conference that Mitch McConnell, Bill Barr, and uh, Rupert Murdoch had a few months after Barr murdered Epstein, right? All those three dudes, um, Bill Barr, um, Murdoch, and, of course, McConnell. Who's McConnell married to? He's married to Elaine Chow, right? Who was Murdoch married to 10 years ago? Oh, he was married to Vladimir Putin's girlfriend, Wendy Ding. Wendy Ding Murdoch, right? Who's Bill Barr married to? Bill Barr, I guess, is married to the mafia through Kirkland Ellis and those friends. But who was in that room? China was in that room. China is the GOP. China has been the GOP. And that's just it, that's also true with Kushner trying to buy visas over there. So when you come out of the Fox messaging world talking about China, to me, you look, it, that just seems like it, just really silly stuff. Your, your, uh, so, your but, excuse for China being the GOP is that Mitch McConnell is married to an Asian woman? Elaine Chao is not just an Asian woman. She's on the board of fucking Kroger, Steve. You know that. She runs show. Her family's very, very powerful. But that wasn't your first thought. You were like, his wife is Elaine Chow. No, 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 so, no, no, no. Dude, I that appreciate was your you clarifying that. Thought. I know Elaine Chow is a very smart, powerful woman, my friend. Okay, now I want you to think about the second part. Sure. When they, uh, when they brought down those uh, indictments on, uh, on the terrorists a few days ago, on Stuart Rhodes and those uh, Oath Keeper clowns, did you notice what division of the DOJ announced it? Did you notice? No. What division? What do you think it was? Because, you know, the DOJ has different divisions. Just, just what division was it? It was the National Security Division, Stephen. I want you to think about that fact, and I want you to think about the scope of Greenberg's activities and where they might also brush up against national security. And I want you to think about that being the reason folks on the left liberal side aren't worried about losing the House, because we really know how exposed DeSantis is to Greenberg. So ponder that. Okay. Uh, you, uh, you should be worried about losing the house. I'm not. I'm not. Who cares? It doesn't do anything. Mitch sits on everything anyways. We only have 48 senators. There's nothing to lose. It's performative. Totally performative. Okay. No, I, please, I hope you keep I, – no, I, I really hope you consider um, keeping that position because – um, what does the house? What does the house get us? It gets us performative committees that maybe feed a media cycle, and maybe feed DOJ investigations. What does the house get you guys? It gets you Jim Jordan versus McCarthy, two of the least likable people in America. Okay, well, it's going to get you Joe Biden impeached. Impeached? Yeah, but he's not going to be convicted in the Senate. It doesn't matter. Doesn't it's matter. more performative. It's about. Impeachment's not about convicting him in the Senate. It's, it's it's just impeaching him. So every time you go to Joe Biden's Wikipedia page, Steve, you're, and Steve, you're supposed to be one of the smarter ones. You're obviously not. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. And the fact that you don't think losing the House of Representatives is that big of a deal is music to my ears. Well, think about it. Nobody who's actually on the left even likes Nancy or has for years. Well, they Nancy's must like her great. enough to keep her in leadership and keep voting for her. Well, what Nancy has done is the important part. What she's Nancy's done. not going to be done for 137 years when the adrenochrome and baby blood Nancy's uh, rise done. up. Trust me, Nancy's almost done. But what Nancy has has achieved with this particular house is she's achieved is she's achieved a conveyor belt of criminal charges, and that's really how it's going to be. It's going to be going from Gates in a suit to Gates in a orange suit. That's going to okay. be the optics you have here. Well, thank you. Keep your fingers crossed. I'm pulling for you, Mateo. <laughs> Thanks. I'm pulling for you too, Steve. All right. Jen, you're up. You're the last one, Jen. And Jen is gone. Sweet. I get to I get to wrap up four minutes early here. Oh, she's back. Ignore that, Jen. I want you to talk. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Stephen. 
I'm just uh, figuring out. I thought we were out of here. Uh, I'm just figuring out how to unmute myself. Um, That's all right. Uh, I just wanted to comment on on your kind of to wrap things up here about Fauci. I think you're completely 100% right. I have um, a so background I. in <laughs> I have a background in molecular biology. I've worked really closely with scientists in this field and also with a lot of like Chinese postdocs. And I just wanted to give a little bit of insight into kind of my experience with that. Um, obviously in science right now, especially in the last probably 20 years, increasing every year, just so much drive for more grants, more publications. It's all ego driven. There's P hacking. There's, you know, everything just to get your a name made for yourself to become kind of famous in your field. Yeah. And so I have no doubt you're, um, I've had experience with, you know, really world renowned academics in different areas of molecular biology and they all have egos, you know, so large. And when you even question some of their work or ask questions about it, they are so defensive and it's kind of the antithesis of what science is supposed to be constantly poking holes at people's work, constantly asking questions. Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely, there's definitely a, how dare you, sir, question me attitude with Fauci. And that's, that's kind of what I mean by you, you have to have him questioned, not by a journalist who is going to pander to him or a Republican. So now the media can just write off, you know, Republicans attack saying to Dr. Fauci and scream at him. You need to have someone who is on his level you know, intelligent knowledge, terminology is the most important thing. One of my favorite pieces I've written is about how Fauci gets out from under these questions where he'll pick, he'll, he'll, he'll pick up on like a, a congressman saying the wrong thing about gain of function. And then he'll pick that piece and beat it to death. And then he'll, you don't know what you're talking about. You've got this definition all wrong. See, you're wasting my time. And he'll win that exchange. And then when you get a doctor who is, knowledgeable like i think we had marshall to to uh the, the uh, senator from uh, kansas i don't know um who was a medical doctor and he picked up on something fauci said and then fauci just went i i don't know what you're talking about i i, I don't know i don't know what you mean i don't know uh, you know i i guess i get a look i don't know and those are his two rhetorical uh weapons that he uses and that's why you need to have someone who is with his knowledge about viruses and epidemiology sit him down and corner him on what gain of function is and isn't. He slides around the definition where if you say that gain of function is a bioweapon, no, it's not. You're, now you're, now you're fear-mongering. Um, as opposed to gain of function is just the, just the practice of manipulating viruses. And, sir, was this happening in the Wuhan lab? You know, I, you're absolutely right that there is this kind of how dare, you know, I, I made the joke about what does Anthony Fauci need with a starship? And people who got that reference get it from uh, Star Trek, which is the false god saying, you know, I need a starship so you can get me out of here. And Kirk's like, what the hell do you need a starship for? Um, and, I, and I use that reference with Anthony Fauci. It's like, why, why, do, you need a, why do you need a starship? Why, why do you need $35 billion to create viruses so you can then just create vaccines that we don't need if you stop fucking around with viruses? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And then like to, you know, when I first read about the lab leak theory, um, I had no doubt that it came from a lab leak. It made perfect sense just with my experience with 
Chinese researchers who have worked, I've worked beside in the lab, just the culture of science that they come from is you literally cannot admit you made a mistake or like something bad will happen to them. Yes. So when they make a mistake, you know, in a American lab or a Western lab, uh, they don't ever say anything. And you, you talk to them, and you're like, hey, did this happen? And they will just deny it. And it's it's literally just the culture of science in in China because if they admitted they made a mistake, something very serious could happen. To yeah. Them. So yeah, you're dead. You're, you're, exactly. you're dead. So, exactly. so it's or your family's had, dead, or the yeah, or the but, house pet gets eaten. Yeah, so. and you know your exactly like your whole livelihood is ruined. You're you're shamed in front of your peers. It's just it's just such a repressive environment. So. It had, I had absolutely no doubt after reading it. I was like, oh yeah, like <laughs> this is, a, this makes perfect sense. Some poor, and like working with DNA and RNA, it's so easily contaminated. It's so easily, you know, let out. I mean, there's been uh, bio leaks, you know, even at the CDC in Atlanta, you know, super dangerous viruses. Like it's not difficult for a horrible mistake to happen. And poor Chinese scientists are probably like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, well he's not, that, that poor Chinese scientist is not around anymore. No, there, unfortunately. So. But yeah, but um, anyways, yeah, I just thought it's um, from a science background, especially in like molecular biology, I think that uh, your assessment on Fauci is, you know, very astute and it has been truth of my experience with, you know, high ranking science people. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thank you, Jen. All right. Well, thanks so much, Stephen. All right. You wrapped it up. How did we do today? I, I enjoyed it. I think it was okay. really interesting. That's... Also, really interesting to hear everyone's voices, you know, from reading the comments <laughs> in the podcast. They're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he does really sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> and now everyone knows what you sound like. Yeah. So you go. Hi, thanks, Jen. Okay. Well, talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Bye. So I'm gonna wrap, I'm gonna kind of leave it there. I'm gonna wrap this all up. Uh, so I just want to say thanks to everyone uh, for coming aboard for this first one. Uh, I do plan on doing this weekly. There may be times I'm gonna jump on and do this randomly at the last second, whatever. Um, I don't know if if maybe people have passionate thoughts about the next Spider-Man film, which I don't, but maybe you do. Um, or uh, or whatever, um, but pr pretty much I'm going to be looking at doing this about every Monday or so, um, or, or at least weekly, and uh, just kind of keep this going. And it'll be different topics, so um, it's good. We got through this without anyone being murdered, except Mateo. Um, so again, just kind of keep your eyes on my Twitter feed. Also, I plug this on my podcast as well. Um, so again, uh, thanks everyone for your time coming in. This has been my TED Talk. Also, thanks to Charlie who's been kind of just hovering back there, taking notes and making sure everything has gone smooth. So again, thanks everyone. And uh, if nothing else, we will uh, we'll go ahead and do this happy hour next Monday as well. Cheers.